Glad you all are here. Trust you're ready to continue worshiping the Lord even as we hear His Word. Uh, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a little while uh, as a high point in our service, as a conclusion. So pray with me one more time if you would. Father, thank you for giving us another day, uh, a day filled with all sorts of things, things we've planned for, things that we haven't planned for. We're grateful to be people who trust in the sovereign God who, whose plans are always sure. Uh, and you are the God who works all things after the counsel of your will, as Ephesians 1 says. And, and we're thankful that we can rest in you and in that promise. Help us to understand you better. Help us to um, not only understand, uh, but to respond appropriately in light of what we uh, learn to be true of you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin this morning by asking you to imagine um, overhearing a conversation conversation between two individuals who are talking about what it means to gain eternal life. It might be happening in your workplace, it might be happening at a coffee shop, it might be happening at a restaurant, or in your basement, I don't know. But you hear two people talking, and you're drawn in as I would be, because they're talking about what it means to have eternal life. More specifically, you hear in this conversation one person tell another person that in order to gain eternal life, a person must obey the law of God. How does it strike you? How do you respond? How do you want to respond? How are you going to respond based upon, depending on your personality? I'm going to be dying to respond. Anytime I hear people talking about those things, sometimes I interrupt, sometimes I don't, but I'm, I'm immediately drawn in, as many of you would be, I think many of us would want to say, that's not true. If we hear someone say the way to be acceptable before God is to obey His law, there's something in us that wants to say that is not true. We want to step in and we want to say the way to be accepted by God is by grace and therefore it's based upon no such thing as keeping the law. Or something like that. And there's something right about that response. But I'm also really glad we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. If you have a Bible, I'll invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10. It's actually not Luke. We call it Luke for shorthand. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news about Christ according to Luke. And Luke's account records Jesus talking about this very same thing. What does it mean? Or how is it that a person gains eternal life? It's the, the multi-bazillion dollar spiritual question. It's the question of all questions. And we're going to be able to look at it this morning. As a church, we're studying through the gospel according to Luke. And we're at this section right now, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, dealing with what it means or how to gain eternal life. And we're going to hear from Jesus. And if you'd like to have an outline, uh, the outline is going to be the question of all questions, number one. The question of all questions, number one. The response of all responses, number two. The response of all responses. Number three, the answer of all answers. The answer of all answers. And number four, the affirmation of all affirmations. The question of all questions, the response of all responses, the answer of all answers, and the affirmation of all affirmations. And this might be a really good sermon to not only hear the beginning and the middle, but also the end. 
And so if you get that unique call and you got to go, you got to go. Um, but you, m before you blog about it <laughs> uh, or tweet about it or whatever you're going to do, you might want to listen to the ending and hear the whole thing um, or we might be really confused. The question of all questions. I'm just so excited to talk about this because it's going to sharpen our focus on what Jesus did on our behalf. Um, I hope we're going to be ready for communion today like never before. I really do. Eager. Not so eager about being mis misunderstood, but eager about helping all of us understand the gospel better. Number one, the question of all questions. Look with me, if you would, at verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that is Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? A lawyer, not in the sense that we might think. An expert in the law of God kind of lawyer. Okay, a Bible expert is who this lawyer is. Uh, this, this Pharisee uh, uh, expert, uh, Pharisee kind of expert. Scribes are called, the scribes and the Pharisees, experts in the law, so they complement each other. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, you might question the guy's motives, but he's got the right question, doesn't he? he I mean, talk about, the, it's the question of all questions. Maybe he's trying to get Jesus or, or pin Jesus down or make him say something wrong. Yeah, we can go there for sure, but you can't fault the guy for having a bad question. It's an awesome question. It's the right question. It's the question of all questions for multiple reasons. It's the question of all questions because it matters for eternity. It's the question of all questions because the consequences have to do with being saved or judged. Jesus just got done talking about a coming judgment that would be worse than it was for Sodom, I think is what he said, or Gomorrah, I can't remember. The two go one and the same. There is a coming judgment. And so if you're talking about what does it mean to gain eternal life, in light of our context, it means avoiding that. So it's the question of all questions because you want to avoid judgment. It's the question of all questions because it matters for the here and now. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus talks about uh, life and having it even now, the basic way he says it, that we may have in the present life and have it abundantly so it affects the here and now. It's the question of all questions because it's the question that used to matter, that matters now and will matter forever. Think about it. Even people that don't want to talk in these categories, people that you know and people that I know, in one way or another, they are grappling with this reality because they're grappling with, with ultimate significance. So even if they don't want to use our category of eternal life, the Jewish category of eternal life, everybody in one way or another, at one time or another, is, is grappling with the matter of what matters most. In, in biblical terminology, it's eternal life, life with God, life that will last forever, that affects the here and now. But everyone deals with what, what, what matters most in life. It's the question of all questions. I remind you that even the most staunch atheist, in light of Romans chapter 1, knows the truth inside. They hold the truth down to use the biblical language. They suppress the truth because of sin. But nevertheless, they, they, they do know the truth. And they, 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 they suppress it, but, but they absolutely know it. How about Ecclesiastes chapter 3? I think it's verse 11 that says, God has written eternity on our hearts. 
mean, there, there's something built in everyone. And it's not talking about Christians there. It's just talking about human beings. There's something built in everyone you know and everyone I know and everyone in this room, every single one of us, that grapples with this matter of eternity. The truth is, is there and, and, and something we deal with. It's important. It's the question of all questions. You might formulate it differently depending on what friend you're talking to. They might formulate it differently if they're talking to you. But it's this kind of question. And he just puts it on the tee. Sets it right there. Talk about relevant. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Number two, the response of all responses. The response of all responses. Maybe let's talk about what Jesus doesn't say first. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus doesn't say, just die. Right? I mean, right now, we, we, we're, we're having a love affair in America with universalism. We might not say we're universalists, but go to a funeral and you'll find out that universalism is the religion of the day. She's in a better place. Based upon what? She died. Oh, really? That's interesting. Based upon nothing. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus doesn't say, just die. Um, Jesus, likewise, doesn't say, try your best. God will take care of the rest. Likewise, Jesus doesn't scold this guy. How many times do you hear someone maybe even teach this passage or preach this passage or read a book about this passage and you say, that guy, what a chump. He, he's totally off base. What is he doing saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, we can question the guy's motives for trying to pin Jesus down, but Jesus doesn't confront him for asking the question. He totally doesn't confront the guy for asking the question. Jesus is going to answer his question in terms of what he must do. So let's not fault the guy for asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, now let's move on to what Jesus does say. What does he say? Well, he actually answers with a question. Look at verse 26. He, Jesus, said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, he, he answers a question with a question, but it's not as slippery or subjective as, as we might do sometimes. That's a significant question to answer a question with. What is written in the law? How, how do you read it? He's not leaving it to the man's self-authority. Well, what do you think? Open-ended. What do you feel about it? Open-ended. That's not the case. Or, what does sacred tradition have to say about this? What, what does uh, Judaic sacred tradition teach about this? No, Jesus answers with a question, but please notice, He answers with a very pointed leading question, doesn't He? Specifically, what is written in the law? What is inscripturated? What does God say about this in His written revelation? How do you read it? How, how, do, you, how do you capture the, the whole how do you capture the essence of, of what it's getting at? I would suggest to you that Jesus knows exactly what this guy's going to say. 
let's, let's, let's reverse the tables. When Jesus is asked the same kind of question on a different occasion, Jesus' answer is essentially the same as this guy's answer. I mean, Jesus knows how he's going to answer. It's, it's, it's the standard answer. How do you encapsulate the whole law? How do you encapsulate all of what God requires? When Jesus is pinned down and asked the question, he says, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus says. Mark chapter 12, verse 32. Jesus knows this guy's going to answer the same way. What must I do to uh, inherit eternal life? Question of all questions. Response of all responses. He's in effect saying, what does the Bible say? Right? See where this is going? <laughs> this is amazing what happens. We are so going to appreciate Jesus more than we do now, I hope. Number three, the answer of all answers. How about verse 27? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus knew he would answer like that because that's just how Jesus answers. It's the standard Jewish answer to the question, what does the Bible teach that God requires for acceptance? Question for you. Is that the gospel? No. It's not the good news of the gospel. Um, is it good to say that? Well, yeah, because God's law is good and righteous and holy. Read chapter 7 of Romans. It's a good answer. The law is good. It's the right answer. It's the same answer Jesus would give. It's not bad. But please, let's just let, let this kind of explode in our, in our faces if we needed to and, and, and affect us. He most certainly says and certainly means the way to be accepted by God is to keep God's law. The way to gain eternal life is by law-keeping. That's why I wouldn't want to be quoted out of context, but I, I don't want to take away from it and, and quickly explain, uh, explain it away. I mean, let it be known here this day. The way to be acceptable before God, the way for you to gain eternal life is to keep the law of God perfectly. To love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of your being, including um, your, your motives, with all of your faculties. If you do that, and let's summarize the other side of things, and love your neighbor as well, God will accept you. So you hear the discussion at the water cooler, what must I do to gain eternal life? And someone says, you must keep the law of God. You've just heard the right answer. As offensive as it might be to our evangelical pop sensibilities, it's totally the right answer. It will always be the right answer. It always has been the right answer. It was right with Adam. It was right with Moses. It's right here on this occasion. It's right now. Why don't we think like that? Is it because we've gotten too sloppy with our shorthand? Salvation is by grace alone. I would die for that truth. 
but out of context and removed from the context of what God requires and what God provides, out of context, your unbelieving friend that says the way God accepts you is if you're a good person sounds more biblical than what we say. They're most certainly not true, right? Because there's no one who does good, no, not one. But, but it sounds more biblical in this sense. Who does God accept? God accepts the good ones. That's totally right. It's totally true. Doesn't mean there are any that meet the category. There aren't, doesn't mean there are any, any that meet the qualification, but it's absolutely true. I mean, what's the ultimate good? The ultimate good is that we would love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. Who does God accept? God accepts the good ones. There you go. Who gets eternal life? Good people. That's absolutely right, right? I mean, what else does Jesus say here to this guy? The guy's, the guy's answering the question the right way. As long as there's only one God, this will be the right answer based on Deuteronomy chapter 6. It was true before then, but in Deuteronomy 6, where this is outlined, among other places, it's tied to the fact that there's only one God. As long as there is only one God, this will be the right answer. The way to gain acceptance with Him is to treat Him like He's God. To love Him with heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. I would hate for this sermon to end here. (laughs) This isn't good news. It's true. It's good because God's law is good, but it's not good news for you and it's not good news for me. But how are we going to better appreciate the work of Christ? How are we going to understand it for what it really is apart from this reality? I would suggest to you we're not going to. But let's not get to the cross yet. Let's not get to the gospel yet. Let's let Jesus continue to have the microphone, if you will, without us needing to explain uh, his statements away. If we push pause right here for a second, we draw some pretty weird conclusions. We would want to say, and Jesus is going to tell this guy, you're such a legalist. You're so wrong. You're so out to lunch. Because remember, he's talking about eternal life in the context. It's law-keeping. I forgot to mention this would be true if you're a Jew. This would be true if you're not a Jew. Romans chapter 2 says the law of God is written on our hearts, even the Gentiles' hearts. This is true before the Mosaic law came. This is true for Adam. It's always been this way, as long as there's only been one God. Keep the commandments. Be good between you and God. Let's take our finger off the pause button and look at number four, the affirmation of all affirmations. Verse 28 says, And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Man, there's something in some of you that wants to say, I so want that verse not to be true. You have answered correctly. And how about these words that you just want to have forever etched in your mind to help you understand the gospel better later? Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. Today's sermon title. Do this and you will live. Once again, I would want it to never escape your notice. There are a few things in life that I would like to have just stuck in our minds. And this would be one of them. 
do this and live. Because if we're really going to understand who Jesus is and what he did, we've got to understand this. Do this and live. To be clear, he's talking about eternal life according to verse 25. Just in case we forgot that. Do this and live. What do you mean? What kind of life? Eternal life. Verse 25 tells us that. Do what and you will live. Verse 26 Do the law is what Jesus says. Verse 27, to love him with all of your being and to love your neighbor. Do this and live. That's what he's talking about. And again, this this is so, so controversial. This is so offensive. This is so unsettling. Eternal life forever and always will be by perfect law keeping. Here's my question for you. Why is this so important that we get this? Why? Why is it so crucial that we get, God says, do this and live. That in order to gain eternal life, there must be perfect law keeping. Why is that so crucial? Why is that so important? Let's answer it on multiple levels. On multiple levels. If we're not clear on this, then we're not clear on God's expectation. God's expectation for Adam, God's expectation for Abraham, God's expectation for Noah, God's expectation for David, God's expectation for Moses, God's expectation for you, God's expectation for me. If we're not clear on this, we won't know what the standard is. The standard is, do this and live. It always has been, Jew and Gentile. Let's be clear. How can we understand the good news unless we understand The bad news, which, by the way, is related to what the standard is. What we want is for God to lesser His requirements. He doesn't lesser His requirements at all. You read Jesus and you think, who who is this guy from the Old Testament? He's the guy from the Old Testament and the New Testament who says the same thing. Do this and live. We've got to understand that's God's expectation. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. This is not Moses. This is Jesus. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Huh. Okay. There it is. If we're not clear on this requirement, another reason to be clear on this requirement, we'll be unclear, and I've already essentially mentioned this, unclear on the problem. What's humanity's greatest problem? What's your greatest problem? What's my greatest problem? The bad day I had yesterday, no, it's not it. My greatest problem is I don't keep the law of God. I don't love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I don't love my neighbor as myself. That's your greatest problem. We're all obligated to do that. It's our greatest problem. That makes, by the way, this conversation in church the most relevant thing we could talk about. What are we going to help people with? People have lots of problems. All stand at the front of the line. But we exist to help people with their greatest problem. But if we don't know what their greatest problem is, it's really hard to help them with a solution. Our greatest problem is lawlessness. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says, sin is lawlessness. Oh, so we know what sin is. 
It's not just not doing our best. It's, it's not loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Comprehensively, truly, genuinely. If we're not clear on this requirement, furthermore, we're going to be unclear on the solution. Right? This is where this is going. If we don't get this, we don't get that. What's the solution? You say Jesus is the solution. Just like when you ask your kids and they come from Sunday school, what did you learn about today? Jesus, and they're 90% probably right. Think about it. This is why you need Jesus. You don't need Jesus to, to help show you the way. You need Jesus because God's requirement is absolute, total, perfect law-keeping. That's why you need Jesus. You totally need Jesus. That's why anybody needs Jesus. You need atonement. Um, uh, you need God's justice to be satisfied. Justice has to do with law. Righteousness has to do with law. God has righteous requirements or just requirements. He's a just judge. He's a fair judge. All those words are related. And what you need is for that God who has a law that says, if you don't treat me like I'm God, there will be consequences, and the consequence is death. The wages of sin is death. We know that. And what you need is someone to die the death, right? You need Christ to go to the cross voluntarily as he did, as awful as it was, and atone. To, 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 to satisfy, you want to use another Bible word according to 1 John 2? To propitiate, to satisfy God who is a just judge. That's what you need. And, and, and quite honestly, that doesn't make a lot of sense apart from keeping this law requirement in view. Why would he have to do that? How awful. He would have to do that if God has a law and he has consequences for law breaking and he does this is super basic but the super basic is super profound i i promise you i guarantee you you will better understand the the perfect awesome loving gracious work of jesus christ better if you understand this reality do this and live because then you're going to be at the front of the line saying, I haven't done it. That's right. And so I'm in trouble. That's right. You need Jesus Christ who is treated as if he hadn't done it either. On that awful day. And now all of a sudden I'm going, all right. I, 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 as much as I hate hearing do this and live because because. I know I'm busted. It helps me to appreciate better the grace shown to me in the Son and the love shown to me in the Son. And all of a sudden, I actually like hearing do this and live. Because now I, I, I get it like I haven't got it before. I'm going, all right. But you need more than atonement. So now your offenses and your guiltiness, the consequence has been paid, but the requirement still stands for you and for me. Do this and live. The law of God requires death if it's not upheld. But first and foremost, the law of God doesn't say die. Back to the issue, Jesus doesn't say when he's asked the question, 
just die. You need more than atonement. You, you need and I need someone if we're going to be accepted before God. If we're going to have eternal life, we need to have done this. Or we need someone who has done it, right? So we need removal of guilt, but we need more than removal of guilt. We need the positive. Loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving neighbor as self. Not just the consequence for not doing it. We actually need the doing of it. And where does that come from? Because I'm so busted. And so are you. And now you understand Jesus even better because Jesus came here and he did this. He did this. To our positive, to the benefit. I have not come to abolish the law, Matthew 5, but to fulfill the law. Oh. He didn't just come and go, you know what, the law's not really important. Because now that the New Testament is here, God doesn't require this anymore. He doesn't do that. He says the same thing it said in the old. The difference being, I've not come to get rid of it. I've come to fulfill it. Ah, yes. Awesome. And this is where we get justification from. Super important Bible word. If you're new to the Bible, you might not know it, but it's a super important, crucial word to understand in Christianity, and it's justification. So let me remind you if need be, and let me teach you if need be, this is what Romans 3 talks about and Romans 4 talks about and Galatians talks about and Titus talks about, that we would be justified. What that means is that we would be declared. Let's use a bunch of synonyms. We would be declared righteous. We would be declared righteous. What's righteous related to? The law. We would be declared law keepers. We would be declared, God would look at us, even though it's not true, He would look at us and, and see as if, us as if we perfectly had kept the law. What does that mean? He looks at you and sees you as if you've loved Him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, your whole life. We've been, therefore, having been justified by faith. We have peace with God by faith in Christ is the context of Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4 and Galatians. This is awesome. It's awesome. Do this and live. How about He did so we have life if we trust in Him and that's what justification is all about. Just as Phenomenal. And while our guy questioning Jesus has got some problems, he's got some issues. He has right categories. He has right categories. Because I don't know if you noticed or not, we're not going to go here fully until next time. But look at verse 29. He understands that justification has to do with law keeping. Sadly, some Christians don't. Verse 29 says, but he desiring to justify himself. Ah, he knows about justification tied to law keeping. 
desiring to justify himself, desiring to have himself be a law keeper, desiring to have himself be righteous, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The guy's totally delusional, granted. Because he's as if, it seems as if he's thinking he took care of the God part. You know, I took care of the hard part, now I'm going to do the easy part, loving my neighbor. But I don't want to get into that right now. I just want you to notice he understands, he has the right categories. He knows he needs justification. He knows he needs a righteous law-keeping standing before God. And so he's asking questions about the law. Who's my neighbor? Because that's part of the law, loving your neighbor. So he's not altogether out to lunch. This, this is... Help me with some synonyms for important. (laughs) Help me with some synonyms for great and awesome and fantastic. I almost made one up. It would have been awesome. Removal of guilt is what we need. Guilt for what? Not keeping the law. Positive, positive crediting of law-keeping Theologians call this imputation. It's credited. It's, it's economic terminology. Crediting with righteousness. Well, what's righteousness? Law-keeping. Who do we need? We need one who will remove our guilt and the consequence that comes. And we need one who will positively give to us on our behalf law-keeping. Do this and live. Jesus did this, and so you live. If you have faith in Christ, it's awesome. It's so good. It's so good. It's kind of interesting. Sometimes people hear about law and they think, oh, that's legalistic. Legalistic is when we think we can do it on our own. I mean, the fastest track to your legalism is to not let God's law thunder from heaven and say, do this and live. The fastest track to your legalism is not hearing God's law. Because once you hear that, you're smited. Once you hear that, you're like, I I, I can't do that. That's right. And therefore, if you realize that, you will never be a legalist. You will ne- if you come to grips with the fact that you have to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of your being, and Jesus Himself, it doesn't change in the New Testament. It's the same. And, and if you get to that point and you realize that, you will never, ever, 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 ever be a legalist. Because instead, you're like, I'm a dead man. I'm a dead woman. I can do nothing. Yep. Trust in Jesus by His sovereign grace. You trust in Jesus. And you'll be accepted before God. Oh, by the way, now what is my standing before God based upon? These laws that I make up? These lesser laws? No, now my confidence standing before God and your confidence standing before God, if you know that it's do this and live and you know that you can't and you know that Christ did, my confidence is based upon nothing that I do or don't do. My confidence is based upon everything that Christ did. I'm just having a wonderful, charismatic moment inside. It's just like, oh, it just doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any better than this.
we're not clear on this requirement, we're going to not be the kind of worshipers we would otherwise be. Understand the gravity of God's law that's still intact. Understand the significance of the work of Christ that's sure and full, and you'll be a different kind of worshiper than you would be otherwise. And if you're not, I mean, a shame on us. I just want to understand this better so I can express gratitude more appropriately. Christ fulfilled the law, Matthew 5, 17. Praise unmatched. And now we understand grace. And now we overhear that conversation. And, and it is true. We, we want to be troubled. And, and, and if that's all it's, that is said, we want to engage and interrupt. But actually, if that's where the conversation starts, you have to keep God's law. There is a good, faithful setup a teeing up for good news regarding the law keeper. Too many times, I hope you get better equipped as a missionary today. Too many times we're so used to our Christian jargon and our Christianese. And I love it that we believe in salvation by grace alone through faith alone. Sometimes we forget it's in Christ alone. <laughs> and we forget that the only way grace is going to make sense is if it's God giving us what we don't deserve. Hello, what is that? atonement and justification in light of our law breaking then grace makes sense then grace makes sense he gives us what we don't deserve Christ is a great savior pray with me if you would father thank you for good news in Christ and thank you for opportunities to hear from Jesus and thank you for all of the scripture that helps to keep us in check I'm just thankful for, for what you do in your providence and even having us study Luke 10 today um, and hearing from Jesus and having him offend our sensibilities. Help us to be clear that the good news is not law-keeping. The good news is the work of Jesus in his perfect life and his perfect death and his perfect resurrection. We're thankful for that, and we're thankful to be able to proclaim that. But help us to be thoughtful in how we proclaim that so that what we say is not completely and entirely misunderstood. Uh, Lord, thank you for your grace and for your mercy and for your love. Thank you now that you've, you've given us this, this ordinance, as we call it. You've given us this practice. You've given us this opportunity to take bread and to take wine as they symbolize the body and blood of Jesus, as they symbolize the work of Jesus in him giving himself. And we acknowledge that his entire life was giving himself and his death was giving himself as a culminating high point of giving himself. Even death on a cross, as Philippians 2 says. And we're thankful that he's resurrected from the dead, that he's, he's not here, though he's given us his spirit, that he is at your right hand and that he has promised to return one day bodily to rescue us and to reconcile all things unto himself. We're thankful for these realities and these truths. As, as we eat and drink, may the things that we do so simply uh, help us to remember that Jesus did this so that we might live. In his name we pray, amen.